being that it is Lent, we will do silent time after our scripture reading, and so I've got a more pleasant chime that uh, I will mark the beginning and end of our silent time. So I invite you to hear the scripture. I will ring the bell, and then just we'll get a solid minute of silence. Just reflect over the words and let whatever sticks out to you, whatever stirs in your heart and mind, just let it stir and sit with it, and then I'll ring the bell again to end our silent time. So yes, our scripture this morning comes out of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then the Spirit led Jesus up into the wilderness so that the devil might tempt him. After Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was starving. The tempter came to him and said, Since you are God's son, command these stones to become bread. Jesus replied, It's written, people won't live only by bread, but by every word spoken by God. After the devil brought him into the holy city and stood him at the highest point of the temple, he said to him, Since you are God's son, throw yourself down, for it is written, I will command my angels concerning you, and they will take you up in their hands so that you won't hit your foot on a stone. Jesus replied, Again it's written, Don't test the Lord your God. Then the devil brought him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said, I'll give you all of these if you bow down and worship me. Jesus responded, Go away, Satan, because it's written, You will worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The devil left him, and angels came and took care of him. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Before we get into the passage, we're going to want to talk a bit about the series that we're entering into as a part of Lent, and that is tested. Tested. We are submitting ourselves to be tested during these 40 days. And so if maybe you took up a fast of some sort, maybe your fast was denying yourself something or adding something to what your routine is. Maybe it's prayer or scripture, or maybe you gave up food or, or a bad habit or something that you're hoping that through these 40 days you can be tested in a good way and brought closer to God as we prepare for Easter. And that's what these 40 days are for. So if you missed Ash Wednesday, you should know that the whole practice was originally intended for people preparing for baptism. 
It was 40 days to kind of mimic several characters in the Bible that go through 40 days and nights in preparation for this new life. And then we've kind of taken it on to remember our own baptism, our own life, and and really confront ourselves through the lens of repentance as we look to depend upon God. And so the Greek word listed on our passage today, it said that the Holy Spirit or the Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness to be parastai, parasthenai, which comes from the root parazo. Can you say parazo? Parazo. It's a bit of a complicated word, uh, like most words in the ancient languages. And I know sometimes I'll throw a word at you and say, oh, it means five or six different things. Well, the reason is because if we took all the English words that are used today, and that doesn't include the 830,000 that we don't use anymore, we just take the 170,000 that we do use and compare it to the 32,000 that the Greeks use. You're talking, we use five times more words than the Greek language. So sometimes a word like parazo has several different meanings. It's used in lots of different ways. So you might know it as the word to test, to tempt, to examine, or to attempt, attempt something. And so we have this word that's in our scripture, the Holy Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness to be parazoed by the devil. And so this word parazo, we have these different ideas. Uh, The number one, if we go back just for a second, to endeavor to discover uh, the character, I I mistyped there, discover the character of something or someone. So that would be to test. And then to tempt, of course, is to entice to improper behavior. The same word, parazo. And so I want us to hang on to this word because you've seen this word before and some of you have brought a question to me coming from the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 and said, when we pray, lead us not into temptation. Does God lead us into temptation? These are some of the questions I've had. Well, what it says is lead us not into parazo. Parazo, the same word. Now, almost every time in the Lord's Prayer is it translated as test or tempt. You said the prayer. What does it say? Lead us not into temptation. It doesn't say testing. It says temptation, which is very interesting. That's a choice translators make. Now, there's some understanding behind it. Some will say that you can be tested by God to be led closer to God, but you might be tempted by something that wants you to lead you away from God. And so sometimes the differences will be used. And so our prayer says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us or rescue us from the evil one, from the one that might draw us away. It's all the same word, parazzo, parazzo. So would God tempt us? We would say no. God would test us, but only for the purpose of leading us closer to God. And so temptation is just the label we give when the desired outcome is against God's will versus testing when it's for the purpose of God's will. All that to say, we're going to spend the next few weeks considering ourselves through the process of testing. Testing. Lent is the perfect time to be tested. In fact, Lent is the time of examination, which would fit in well with Parazzo. Lent is the season in which we venture into our own lives to turn on the lights, so to speak, because we all have things in our lives that we just don't see anymore. They've become lost in the darkness to us. So our new administrative assistant, Tony, if you've not met him yet, he's quite wonderful. He told me very early on when he stepped into the office, he wants to quickly see and do something about all the things he sees before he stops seeing them. What he meant was that little clutter pile that's been sitting in that spot for years 
or the, the old copier, which sits just inside the front door that I've long since stopped seeing. Do you, do you remember seeing it when you walk in? Sometimes we just don't even see it. It's, it's like a tank, and we just don't see it because we're used to seeing it. And sometimes in our own lives, we have things that have been with us that aren't good, and we've just stopped seeing it. And so Lent is for us to intentionally turn on the light and examine, or be examined, or be tested. And so... We're going to examine today first Jesus Perazzo, and then we'll come to our own. Are you with me? Any questions? No? Okay. We all know that testing leads towards God, and ultimately it helps you be led more toward yourself, who you really are, because we were all created in God's image. We were all created innocent. You can see that in the eyes of any baby and small child, but somehow we get led astray. This is our story. Amen? No one's exempt to it. Amen? Amen. God wants you to become more who you are, who you were created to be, who your true identity is, and you might even every now and again catch a glimpse of it. The scripture uses the word heart for this particular identity. Now, the true you longs to be known. The you that most people don't know. The things about you that you're just not sure if you're ready to share with everybody because it might not be accepted. Or maybe you've shared it before and you got hurt. And so your heart that was once tender is now a little hardened and protected and we guard it. But your heart longs to be known, yes? And you long to know the heart of everyone around you that you care about, yes? But it's scary to be known. And when you start to know the heart of others, It's scary to know someone sometimes. But when you do achieve that kind of relationship, and maybe you have with one or two or three people in your life, you truly know them or know them better than anyone else, and they know you better than anyone else. It's just a different element to the relationship. And you can even accept the old copiers, the the things that maybe need to be moved, right? You can even accept those things because there's something deeper happening. And that's what we experience with God. It is easier to guard our hearts, It is easier to divert attention away from us and onto other people by pointing out things that maybe people could focus on so they don't see our stuff. That is easier, and we all do it. Jesus experiences three temptations. Three temptations. They are ordered differently in Mark and Matthew than they are in Luke because Matthew is really trying to emphasize the kingdom. There's a main message to the Gospel of Matthew, and that is there is the kingdom of God, the reign of God, and there is another reign on this earth. And as we hear later in this passage, that reign and all the facets and ways that it presents itself belongs to someone else. And Matthew wants to confront these two kingdoms. So the kingdom is central, which is why it's the third. And so you either serve God's kingdom or you serve something else, is the idea. Now, in this passage, the other kingdom is personified by the opposing voice of temptation, which is referred to as the devil. So the Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted. Did you hear that? The Spirit leads Jesus out to be tempted. Lead us not to temptation. The Spirit leads Jesus out to be tempted. So maybe there's some good. You can wrestle with that. The Spirit leads him to temptation. That much is clear. We have three temptations. Matthew is also all about having Jesus being presented as a new Moses, which is why with each temptation, Jesus responds from the fifth book of Moses, Deuteronomy. So the first temptation is to turn bread 
I'm sorry, to turn stone to bread because he's starving and he's been out in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, just like Moses had. He's hungry. Have you ever been starving? I mean, truly starving, not just you missed lunch and you're ready to eat. When you're truly starving, when you think turning stone to bread would be a pretty reasonable request, if you could for someone else, might you? Jesus is confronted with the with the opportunity to relieve his hunger as he's starving, the scripture makes sure to tell us. But Jesus knows, as, as maybe okay as that is, he's not going to distort creation for his own benefit. He's not going to do that. And also, he's not going to not depend upon God to give him everything he needs. And so he responds from Deuteronomy. And the passage is, one does not live by bread alone, Deuteronomy 8. The second is to throw himself from a cliff to allow a spectacle of a situation where he is saved and not allowed to hit the rocks below. So the temptation is to make himself secure from injury and death because he is God's son after all. The story of Jesus is not about avoiding death and injury, is it? We know where the story is going. It's going to the cross and that's the whole road. So Jesus clings to this road from the beginning. He responds, do not put the Lord your God to the parazzo. Deuteronomy 6. And the third temptation is simply to bow down and worship the devil who has dominion over all these other kingdoms. You just, I'll give them all to you, he says. You just worship me. Now what Jesus realizes is the way of God is about self-sacrifice. It's about pursuing God and depending upon God alone. And these other kingdoms that we all know too well are about violence and power and might and conquering, right, and flexing muscles and being great. Jesus can have all that and avoid everything else, but Jesus responds, get away from me, Satan, the Lord your God shall you fear, him alone shall you serve, Deuteronomy 6. Notice, this is a weird passage, notice that Jesus refuses to wield miracles for the sake of self-satisfaction or proof or evidence of who he really is. Since you're the son of God, do this miracle. Jesus says no. Sometimes we want the miracle to be proof and evidence, don't we? Notice that Jesus clings not to his own comfort or safety at the cost of ceasing even a tiny amount of his total dependence upon God for what he needs. And notice that Jesus desires not to be seen as a victorious conqueror able to wield political power for his own desires. It's a really strange way to introduce the Savior of the world. You see, in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, we have the baptism of Jesus, the temptation story, and then his ministry begins. Anyone that would read this the first time, and all of us who read it, knowing how the story ends, knowing that it's the Gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of the world, you would expect that when he finally receives the Holy Spirit, when he finally is labeled and titled as son of God and you're ready for it to begin, he goes out into these temptations and then doesn't do anything that we'd expect him to do. It's a really way to introduce this savior. What kind of savior is this? Now, Jesus, Jesus just breaks all the molds for what we might expect. Jesus refuses all the power that we might hope he would take up, or sometimes we even still pray he exercises. Jesus refused to be who the tempter wanted him to be. Jesus refused to be who his followers want him to be, which is why 
On the way to the cross, they're all arguing about who's going to be greatest and least in the kingdom when Jesus sits on the throne and who's going to sit on his right and his left and who doesn't have the right to do miraculous healings and who does. And they're still fighting in this old kingdom way and Jesus just bears with them. Jesus refuses to be who we sometimes want Jesus to be. Sometimes we want Jesus to be what we want Jesus to be rather than allow Jesus to be what Jesus needs to be for us. And we struggle with that temptation. And we struggle with that in our faith. Jesus, I would argue, would make a terrible pastor these days because we look for a pastor who will stand up loud and proud and and get everyone all fired up, right? Someone who will do miraculous things and give miraculous uh, testimony and test. you know, numbers and, and success in the wildest way and, and who will craft worship services or experiences with music and the right atmosphere to make people unwilling to deny and, and cling to Jesus. Jesus does none of these things, none of them. So I think his church would really struggle. He refuses it all. He makes his entire mission this, about being God's first and foremost. He trusts that God will provide what he needs. If he needs bread, God will give it to him. Two, he's never going to test God to protect him or to reveal who he is in some miraculous way because Jesus is not seeking these things if that's not what God's seeking. He knows his path. Three, he's never going to grasp for the power of the other kingdoms in any other way than the way God has called him to. Now, funny enough, in chapter 28 of Matthew, Jesus is granted authority over all the kingdoms of the earth, but only after the cross. Many of us face a similar parazzo today. We feel the pressure to be something we are not because we're scared to fail. We're scared to be seen as failures, or maybe we're just scared to be what I might call normal, human, humble, peaceful, Some of us face the temptation of having all the right answers. Have you ever had that temptation? Some of us face the temptation to quote scripture to support what we think, just like the devil did in today's passage. Amen? The devil even knew who Jesus was. Censure the Son of God, he says multiple times. Censure the Son of God. He knows who he is. He knows his title. He's trying to twist him to be something that he's not even using the same title. And sometimes we do that. Jesus refuses to be who we want him to be. He will always be who we need him to be. The question is, are we open to accepting that? This may seem like Captain Obvious, but Jesus is who Jesus is. Amen? And Jesus is God's, period. We are called to follow him, to be who we are, to be God's, period. And as scary as it is to let everyone around us, our family, our friends, our neighbors, be who they are and trust them to follow Jesus until they are God's, period. Almost never, in my my experience, and you can raise your hand if this sits with you, I've never I look back at where I am now, where I started. I had no idea. I never expected to be where I am now. And I never expected some of the people I've seen walk the the walk of faith be where they are. It almost always happens in a way I never expected. Has anyone 
identify with that. Yet we still find ourselves tempted to feel like we know. Isn't that funny? We, we wrestle with this. There is a, this is where our parazzo lies. We can't ever think we know our neighbors are called to be. We don't, can't know who they're called to be until we understand who we are called to be. We must allow God to lead us these 40 days, to lead us. We must turn our attention in, to turn the lights on. Maybe our temptation is to look at other people and feel insecure about not having enough. Or maybe our temptation comes in judgments we make about people we don't even know or friends that we do know because they make choices we just don't understand. Maybe our temptations rule us, making us able to look away from those in need or those who are hungry or in poverty, those who are addicted or afflicted with disease right here in our own community. We just found a way not to see it. Temptation rages in moments when we allow our temper to define our lives, when we allow our addiction to wealth and power and influence over others and control to define who we are instead of letting God define who we are. Temptation wins when we engage in justifying them. Maybe it's just little things. Like maybe we tell a racist joke, well, that's okay. Or we do a questionable business practice of some sort for the sake of the greater good. Or maybe we criticize our partner or our spouse when they're not around. Or our friends when they're not around. These are the faceless tempters within our own hearts and lives which we must examine. Rarely is temptation going to approach you in some personified figure that you'll easily identify as evil. Usually it comes in a voice you want to follow. We must allow the Spirit to lead us into this parazzo over this 40 days of Lent because that's the only way we're going to begin to discover who we truly are and who we think we are and all the things that cause that differentiation. Friends, we have to identify where we've lost our way, where we are broken. That's the only way we can allow God's parazzo to lead us through into what's on the other side. We cannot get to the empty tomb unless we go through the cross. Amen? Because God leads you through parazzo and into a life of God's reign and kingdom. And through the cross, you will always come to life. Amen? Amen. God rescues us from the evil one, especially the evil one that resides within our own hearts, our own bias, our own misconception, our own mistaken identity, our own desire for Jesus to be who we want Jesus to be rather than who we need Jesus to be. Are we ready for Easter yet? Not yet. It's a 40-day process for a reason. Take each day. Are you ready to put on the new life? You can respond, we're getting there. We're getting there. Are we ready to be tested? Are you ready? If you're honest, you're saying, I don't know. I don't know. Well, let's say a prayer. Lord, I thank you that we follow a risen Savior who walked through the temptation with intention, who walked into the wilderness fully aware of what was coming and yet faced the real temptation and stuck to you alone, chose to be yours alone, to be obedient, to trust, 
and to live out life as you called him to. Help us to follow in those footsteps, to not try to circumvent the wilderness, to not try to walk around the cross, but let us be tested. Let us embrace the wilderness and the cross, knowing that is how you bring us into salvation in Jesus' name. Through your Holy Spirit, Lord, I lift up these words, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.